powered from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew Estate Studios in California. It's episode 217 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome back Nick Sirius of LH Cigars as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Dagos Ray Cigars introduced another chapter of the saga, the Saga Celeste. So that's the Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celeste is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Celeste carries the brand of Criollo Allure and Piloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available on three sides at an affordable price. Ask your retail for Saga Celeste. And by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobaccos that have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double Aged 12-Year Vintage, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menzo 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the new Perdomo site at www.perdomocigars.com. And by Aganorsa Leaf. Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorsa Leaf stands out because of the distinctive flavor of a Corojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds cultivated by Cuban agronomists on the best lands in Jalapa and Esteli, Nicaragua. When you smoke one of our JFR or JFR Lunas at Guardian Farm or Casa Fernandez Cigars, you experience the unique taste and aroma that makes Aganorsa leaf special. Smoke one today and enjoy the signature flavor of Aganorsa leaf. And finally, by Drew Estate. Drew Estate is about to make someone a whole lot richer. During its freestyle live show on the company's Facebook live page, Drew Estate announced it would hold a Bitcoin sweepstakes with numerous incredible prizes during freestyle live events, including a grand prize of one full Bitcoin for a lucky fan to be announced during the February 17th 2022 edition of Freestyle Live. Entry into the unheralded Drew Estate Bitcoin syndicate was simple. During three of the company's three, three of the company's Freestyle Live events, the company selected the names of five people at random who attended the show and commented during the broadcast. These five winners are now entered into a grand prize drawing of uh, that will be held on February 17th. And you will be eligible, or they will be eligible to win that grand prize Bitcoin. You could find more at www.drewestate.com or visit Drew Estate's Facebook live page at facebook.com forward slash Drew Estate. And remember, all the live streaming for the California, oh boy, major flubs tonight. Remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of shows, as well as the California studios for the Primetime uh, show, is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. <laughs> I'm laughing here. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is Prime Time, episode 217. You watch me flub through a bunch of reads tonight. Uh, I haven't done that in a while, but uh, I'm, 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 I have some high, uh, 
expectations of my guests tonight, so maybe I'm a little nervous, but it's Will Cooper here. I am in the uh, Perdomo Cigar Studios here on the Black Stage. Uh, let me introduce my friend and colleague uh, in the Drew Estate Studios in California, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing good, actually. How about you? Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, next week you'll be in Vegas, so... Um, I know you're going to be pretty excited. We're going to be getting together with, uh, I know, McTavish, right? So yep. that's going to be, yep. you guys haven't seen each other in a long time. Yeah, it's been almost, uh, well, ever since the pandemic started now. So it's been yeah. probably two years, a little over two years now. Yep, yep. So, uh, no, it'll be pretty, it'll be pretty fun uh, for you guys. I'm, I won't be there this year, as you know. Yep. Um, but I'll be there in spirit with you guys. I'll be thinking about you guys. So uh, no, no problem with that, you know. Um, but uh, and then before you know it, in uh, five and a half months, six months, PCA will be here. So exactly. Yep. So uh, but otherwise, pretty good week. Um, you know, uh, you guys, by the way, uh, good praise you guys got on the uh, top 25 this year. Thank you. Uh, it seemed yeah, you guys did a great job. And it just seemed like this year, yeah, a lot of people didn't beat you guys up like they normally do this year. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, either uh, they're tired of beating us up or uh, they're starting to respect us a little bit more. I think it's the latter. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll find, they couldn't find a way to beat you guys up this week. It was a good job. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, enjoyed it. And uh, I know you guys got some more stuff coming out. Uh, I know you get your, your value, uh, like value cigars, value rankings, I should say. Yeah, they'll come out tomorrow. Yep. So that'll be pretty exciting there. Um, but anyway, no, we got a good show tonight. Um, and, uh, what I'd like to do is before we get started, I want to introduce, uh, our special guest tonight, um, making a return to the primetime show. Um, I know this guy for a long time, um, and he actually worked with him on the smooth drawers radio show. So, uh, and that was almost five years, actually five years ago, 2017, but really glad to welcome back Nick Sirius of LH Cigars. Nick, welcome back to primetime. Thank you, Coop. I didn't realize uh, I make you nervous, and I hope I meet your expectations of uh, keeping the show entertaining. And thank you for having me back. Appreciate it. No, no it. problem. You know, Nick, actually, I mean, and I, I learned a lot about, I mean, obviously from all the Smooth Birds guys, Chad, yourself, uh, you know, Gary. Uh, radio was a very different animal when we did radio. Uh, I learned a lot from you guys. Nick, I always know that you were very focused on clean production and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, it kind of looked like I said, Nick always knew what he was doing with the production. He, you know, you, all those other guys, you, Chad, and like, not Gary, but, <laughs> well, uh, Chad, but Gary, no, he was, he was more clueless. Hey, you know what? I miss the guy, you know, I, you, you, I really miss the guy. It's four years this month. Yeah. And, uh, he drove us crazy. Aaron, this guy drove us crazy, he did. but you know, when he's gone, he's gone. And it's, yeah, it's sad. Yeah. Well, listen, life is short. Enjoy every day and smoke great cigars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, Nick, um, before we kind of get into the uh, meat of things tonight, um, because I know who you are tonight and I want to I actually do want to give these guys a plug um, and the place you're at a plug because it's a very unique place. Maybe you just want to take a minute to tell everyone where you are. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm actually sitting in one of the rooms of the Metropolitan uh, Cigar Society, which was founded back in 1994. And um, since I can't smoke <laughs> in my house, I figured, and it's late, and it's 
freezing here in Jersey, where I happen to, I like to say, temporarily live. I figured this would be a great place to uh, to do the show from. Uh, it's a great club. It has uh, reciprocal agreements with a lot of other private clubs. It's one of the original first clubs, private clubs. Uh, it started out in the early 90s. There was originally 13 of us. Uh, I then moved to Florida, but the club has been going strong. I'm, I rejoined uh, coming up here. I always had a travel membership, but I'm back right. up here. And uh, they have a lot of great guys. It's 24-7 access with a key card. And uh, it's very comfortable. The chairs are great. The atmosphere is great. Uh, if anybody's in North Jersey, give me a ring. I'll bring you by as a guest. I'd love to show you around. No, it's great. I, I, I haven't been there in a while, but I have been there. And uh, it was definitely, like I told you, I think it's the premier place in the Northeast to go. Uh, and you guys built that place pretty much yourselves. I mean, it wasn't like... Like, a lot of the guys I know, like, rolled up their sleeves and built that place, from what I understand. Yeah, many, many of the original owners and, and members did exactly that, depending on what they... If you were in carpentry, you did carpentry. If you were in duck, they were doing ducks. They did everything here was all done by the members, and uh, so we could do it as economically as possible, and, and we've been here now, what, 20, 25 years. Yeah, yeah, no, good for you, good for you guys. I mean, I didn't realize it went back to 94, Oh, mm -hmm. you, so you were a founding member, right? So you, you I were, was. Yeah. What, what happened was when we originally started, we just uh, did um, cigar dinners at various restaurants, and we'd meet once a month. And then when that stopped, thanks to the uh, laws of New Jersey, we needed a place. And it's literally in an industrial park. Yep. And they took a spot, and they built it out, and it's fantastic. It looks great. And um, it's been going strong, and there's plenty of members. And we always welcome you know, cigar smokers uh, and lovers of the leaf to come on by and also become a member. And it's, I'll say it, it's in Sopranos country, right? It's pretty close to Sopranos country. Well, New Jersey is Sopranos country. But I mean, right? we're, talk, we're talking Tony, it's not far from where Tony Soprano, you know, supposedly lived, you know what I mean? Well, it's, in, it's in Essex County, right? No, it's. Uh, I think this is not Essex County. I don't think it's Essex so County. So it's Union County. It's Union County down there. No, it might be Essex County. I'm not actually sure. Yeah, I live in Morris County, which is right around the corner. Um, it might be Essex. I know North Caldwell, the actual outside house where they shot Tony Soprano's uh -huh. uh, outside, is in North Caldwell, and that's not too far from here. So yeah, you could say it's Soprano's country. It's North Jersey for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's North Jersey. It's not like uh, you're down in um, Cherry Hill, you know what I mean? So it's it's not it's it's a it's a reasonable drive if you were in North Caldwell, I'd say. Oh, it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump. In New Jersey, yeah. even though it's a very small state, everybody here kind of treats it as two different states, as you know, Coop, right. from being originally from here. Yeah. South Jersey is kind of like a suburb of Philly, and North Jersey, you know, I, I guess you could say it's a suburb of uh, of New York. But yeah. it's two different states. It really it, is yeah. in one. Yeah, Aaron, it's it's very much like a. Cal I know California has its division. Like yeah, like Northern and Southern California kind yeah. of splits. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they really it's they really considered themselves two different states. And I lived in Lawrenceville, which was just over the six hundred nine area code border. So you kind of like it was kind of both where I lived. You got New York stations, you got Philly stations, which is yeah, pretty cool. you're right cool. in the middle. You're right in the middle. Uh, once you kind of get south of Trenton, then you're totally into the the south, the true South Jersey, of right. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, Nick. Uh, no, glad I wanted to give those guys a plug. That place uh, was one of the. I just enjoyed that place when I went there. 
and I'm so glad it's still going strong. Uh, you know, it's a long time since I've been there. But, uh, but no, Nick, so kind of getting into things with you, um, for folks who may not know you and they may not know LH Cigars, tell us a little about LH Cigars, the background of that company, maybe how you got into it, kind of the, the way you started with that, I think is kind of unique. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a unique story. It's definitely different than most people's uh, entry into the cigar industry. I started my uh, professional career in electronics and tech, and that business took me over to Saudi Arabia, where I started doing a lot of work for the uh, originally for one particular Saudi prince, and then it branched off to doing a lot of the royal family members. That went well, and then that chapter of my life kind of came to an end about 2005, six, and then about 2007, this uh, particular prince said to me, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, you know what? I really love cigars. I would love to get into this business, but I really, you know, I, I always did. Whatever I did in life, I always believed if you, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And uh, I really did enjoy electronics and tech and uh cigars was my hobby my passion um and i was and i'm one of the fortunate few that were able to make a living at it and get into the cigar business but how that started was this prince and uh my original partner in that lounge was a guy by the name of omar nasser he is a lebanese guy that uh, lived in saudi and originally was one of the uh, prince's right hand men and uh he pretty much tasked us to start a cigar lounge because in his words he wanted to get you know all the freeloaders out of his house and have a place for these people to smoke so we formed a private club in Riyadh Saudi Arabia and we um, had a lot of private members that joined and uh, it was in Saudi Arabia I thought it was only going to be a project and I was happy to be a part of it and then I realized okay this is going to need a lot of work uh, and being outside of the US and back in the early 2000s uh, or mid 2000s, 99.9% .9 of all of what just was smoked was Cuban cigars. So of course, uh, part of uh, my task was to procure and to uh, get, you know, the hard to find Cuban cigars. Because the reality is, the clientele there didn't care what it cost; they just wanted it and they wanted it yesterday. So we started making trips. My first trip to Cuba was in 2008, late 2008, and then. I fell in love immediately with the country, the people, and of course, the birthplace of Cuban cigars and all cigars initially. Um, and that's where my training started and started making custom cigars. And then that eventually left, uh, led to making Cuban um, blends uh, for, for the private lounges. And we ended up opening one in Beirut and uh, we started to grow and that ended up getting me to because I could only get X amount of bundles every month out of Cuba uh, then I decided well it wasn't really me it was eventually um, the the gentleman who became my future partner um, said you know what why don't you try to do Cuban cigars You've, you you know about uh, the palates of what your customers are like why don't you try to do a non-Cuban cigar and initially I was uh, reluctant because uh, you know the reality is I was the first importer of uh, the Fuente cigars into the Middle East and also the Padrones and uh, they were a tough sell in the beginning any non-Cuban cigar was it was a tough sell so I said you know what am I going to be able to make 
that's you know these masters already are doing and they're not selling so how the heck am I gonna make a cigar that's gonna sell over here but uh, he was right I did know their palates and uh, I learned in Cuba all my training and background is in Cuba um, I mentored under some of the greatest masters there who are still my my friends and mentors uh, I went through the uh, actual blending school there uh, I was there every month you know at least once a month and uh, spent a lot of time in Cuba over the last 12, 13 years and uh, honed my skills and I'm still learning and, but I love what I do, I love blending cigars and that started the LH brand. Now why LH, why did we call it LH? Uh, the reason is the lounge was called La Vida Havana, meaning the life of Havana in pretty much the desert of Saudi Arabia. So the initial cigars that I made, the custom cigars and also the, uh, the, the private blend initially for the lounges, I just put a very simple logo on, which was the, the lounge logo, which is this one right here. So it's just a very simple LH and uh, put that on the band and I never really even named the cigars initially. But what happened is a lot of these, uh, you know, the Saudis, they love to travel and they are very generous with their cigars. And uh, they started going out and about like they do. And I was getting calls from all these different countries and, and they're saying, you know, what is this LH cigar? I want, I want to buy LH cigars. And I'm like, what is LH cigars? What are you talking about? They're like, I have a cigar here with a black band. It says LH on it. I go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, that is my cigar. And, and uh, so I started selling the LH blends uh, to other countries initially in the Middle East. And then that branched off to uh, many other countries uh, all over the world. And then years later, being an American, I decided uh, to enter a very congested and competitive market in the US. But you know, I believe in the factory, the quality of the factory, the quality of the leaves we use, and uh, the blends. And of course, all the original LH blends have kind of a, well, I don't want to say Cubanesque because that you that word is used so much, but you do kind of get the idea of hey, you know what? This is based on somebody with a Cuban palate, and that's how the LH brand was born. And since then, I've come out with a lot of other blends, and as you know, the Nick line. And uh, now I'm focusing on the U.S. market. So here I am. Oh, that's good, Nick. Thank. You know, I've never asked you this question. And I know I knew a lot of the story, right? But I never asked you this question. When how easy how hard or easy was it for and I'll do, I guess I'll just use the word gringo to go into Cuba and say I want to start producing blends here. I mean, how is that something that's a normal thing that they do with a lot of people or or no, not? not. So how did that so how did that it's, all come about? Well, when I first got to Cuba, of course, I didn't speak a word of Spanish. Right. Now I have a passable understanding of it, but it's a matter of uh, you know, I basically embedded myself in the country among the people. Uh, I got to meet a lot of influential people. And, um, you know, I just kind of learned. And uh, I guess they took a liking to me as I uh, obviously love the country. Um, and, I, you know, it's I'm, there's not many that have done what I do. And I'm not saying it in any braggadocious way. But right. it was just my uh, tenacity to, to make a, a good cigar. And, and all the original blends that I made, the non-Cuban blends, I passed them by my mentors there every time to make sure that, you know, it, it was 
good. You know, I mean, I guess I didn't have the confidence. My first blend took me 11 months and about 18, 19 different revisions. You know, and uh, you know, as I got better at it uh, and, and more comfortable with with making my blends, um, I think I got a grasp of it now. But always learning, always learning. No, that's amazing um, to hear that. You know, because like I said, um, but here's what I'll just tell the audience too. You know, I went to Cuba with Nick, right? I know we talked some stories the last time on the show, but you know, it was a great trip. But I'll just say, like Nick, what Nick's talking about, they respect him in Cuba, right? Everyone loves, everyone knows Nick in town. Everyone loves Nick. Uh, when we didn't have a hotel room for some of us, Nick got us a place. <laughs> so, you know, it was little things like that. Like, and, you know, Nick was like, I learned really quickly that, you know, not anyone, everyone could run a Cuban tour is because if you were not connected down there, um, and, and it was clear you were connected down there very well. You had good relationships with people there. It wasn't part of my master plan to start offering tours to Cuba. As you know, that came off of doing the uh, Smooth Draws radio show. And uh, that started with doing a segment on that show called uh, Nick's Notebook, A Cigar Enthusiast Guide to yep. Cuba. And that was basically giving advice because, coincidentally, the same time the Obama um, changes went in effect, the restrictions went, you know, lessened. Uh, so I wanted to let people know how to go to Cuba, what to expect. But that turned into everybody saying, hey, we want to go to Cuba with you. And then Gary, our, our uh, illustrious founder and original host of the Smooth Draws radio show, convinced me to do tours to Cuba. Initially, I said, you're crazy. You don't understand. Cuba is a very, very difficult place to get anything done um, because they just... They just, uh, you know, they just go by the beat of a different drum over there. It's very difficult to do anything with them because they don't really understand business. Um, but it was, it's stressful. It still is. Yeah. The first time was just, I mean, the the hundredth time is just, well, I didn't do a hundred tours. I, I did one tour a month for about four or five years uh, up until the, uh, the closure with the pandemic. And I, I plan to restart them because people do enjoy those tours. And I love to see people's eyes and to experience Cuba and to get that thrill, the same thrill that I got the first time I was there. It's like no place on earth in on a different planet in, in many really ways. It really is. It really is. Going um, back in time. It's, 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 it's fantastic. I, I highly recommend it, especially to anybody that enjoys any kind of cigars. To be there, to be in the mecca of where, the, you know, the birthplace of cigars, there's something special about it. And it gives you a deeper understanding and appreciation of all cigars yeah and um what i also say is like you said that it's like another planet but it's like this you take this very short flight like like i went to sweden and that's a long flight and that's very different than the u.s obviously but you take this short flight not only is it a very different place but like you said it's going back in time it, it, it it's it's definitely something that you don't forget yeah it's like you're in a time portal when you land there you you're the land that time forgot um you know as you know the cars from back in the 50s and and uh you know a lot of things are are difficult there because of the embargo that's been in place for over 50 years uh but the people are very resilient and and i'm there for the people i'm there to support the cuban people uh we did licensed ofac um authorized tours there and literally what I did was try to support the Cuban people and to really let them see Americans and, and people that enjoy democracy and also to 
explain what what the rest of the world is like because you have to understand there's a lot of censorship there um you know their tv channels aren't like our tv channels um basically all you hear is that hey this is a beautiful country why do you want to know what's going on in the outside world you have everything you want right here there's only problems outside of cuba and you know so when they started really getting to meet americans and the cuban people love americans um they oh they they do they were great to us there yeah they they love tourists and i mean tourism is their number one um you know income for most of these cubans yeah yeah all right but Nick, when you went and started making your own cigars, um, you, you went to Costa Rica. Now, it's not, you know, not on a lot of people's list when they go to make cigars. You know, they go to um, Nicaragua, Dominican, Honduras. But, you know, they do make cigars in Costa Rica. I've been to the factory there, as you know. It's, it's a, and we could talk a little about that. But talk a little why you went to Costa Rica and particularly how did you get the tobaccos to Costa Rica? Well, I met, you know, the, the founder and uh you know the predominant owner of of the factory and the family that owns this factory in costa rica he's um his main job other than the factory is of being a tobacco broker and i actually met him in cuba and um you know i'd seen him there a bunch of times but i didn't know who he was exactly and we started chatting and he's the one that uh, recommended i go to uh to costa rica and give my hand at uh at trying uh, blending a cigar there. Um, I learned a lot from him. Um, I traveled with him. Um, I met a lot of interesting people in Cuba, and a lot of the tobaccos that the factory uses and I specifically use in my blends, everything kind of happens organically. Like, for instance, I use a lot of Peruvian filler, which is not something that's commonly used yet in a lot of cigars. I just like the synergistic effect I get with the Peruvian tobacco when it's, you know, uh, paired with Nicaraguan, you know, and all the tobaccos we use, minimum three to five year age. I met a uh, an Italian gentleman in Cuba that ends up, uh, and he was a real estate developer that ended up owning um, tobacco fields in Peru, and he invited me to come there. We went there, and uh, I loved the, uh, you know, the leaf, and uh, Ecuador, where we, uh, we lease a farm in Ecuador where all our wrappers come from, all the wrappers, at least on my brand. We use other wrappers as well, but it's such a fantastic um, place that we have there, and the tobacco is so great. Pretty much every cigar, well, every cigar I make to date uses one of the wrappers that comes from uh, the farm that we lease in uh, Ecuador. So that's how I got to tobaccos to Costa Rica. And the other thing that was very important for me initially, since I never was even intending to start in the U.S. market or even be in the U.S. market, the tobaccos and the blends that I like to use, again, have that Cuban flavor. And, um, you know, he understood that. And um, we were able to produce something that I thought was special. And um, here we are, still selling it overseas. No, that's good. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like I said, um, you know, it's like I said, it was one of the better factories I've seen. I could tell you that it's not one, you know, I mean, you guys don't normally do tours. I mean, you were talking. About no, one time. no, no, no. I, I do tours. That's a funny that? thing you you brought up because okay. I forgot I, about you did start that. Yes. I started it right before the pandemic, pandemic because yeah. what happened was initially, I, you know, have, having done so many tours to Cuba, a lot of people said, Nick, we'd love to go someplace else with you. Can you recommend somewhere else? We'd love you to. They thought I was a tour guide. You know, I, they, I mean, they all knew I was a cigar yeah. maker. And I said, you know what, guys, what about coming to Costa Rica and doing, you know, uh, a tour of the factory? 
And uh, I had signed up the first six months, you know, all ready to go. People, a lot of them were alumni of my other trips to Cuba. So we did a tour in January, February, and even March. And right. the tour was, was a nice tour of the factory. I was doing a blending seminar there. Um, the biggest challenge I had in Costa Rica, as opposed to Cuba and Nicaragua, is that they're not very open to smoking cigars, which really sucks. So I my know biggest... That. My biggest challenge was to find restaurants and places where you can smoke. You know, we would rent houses that were close to the factory. So we had our breakfast in the house or at the factory. We did nice uh, lunch spreads at the factory, which was great because I was able to give back to the employees um, where we would in basically involve everybody, all the rollers and, and, and the uh, participants and the tours. They got to meet the rollers. The way we were doing our blending seminars is after the seminar, we basically coupled every participant with two rollers and they would help them blend their own cigar. And at the end of their five-day uh, trip there, they would come out with their own blend and as a parting gift, I gave everybody like a little box of their own cigars with, you know, it said custom blended by, you know, and their name engraved on the box. And it was a little memento and a nice yeah. little touch that uh, makes people remember the tours. And I planned on continuing. And it was great for, for me, the factory and the brand, because it made super salesmen out of these guys. You know, they, were, they became instant ambassadors and they go back to their towns, their cities and said, hey, you got to try this cigar. And uh, it helped me get into a lot of these lounges. No, it's true. You know, and, and I won't spoil everything on the tour if, if, so people, if they ever go. But you'll see some very unique things in that factory that you probably haven't seen in any of the factories before. Just the way you, you guys handle production and, and you, you'll understand, like, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to spoil it, Nick. But you you would agree you guys are doing some cutting edge stuff there. I believe so. I mean, yeah. one good thing is over the years, I've literally I, you know I'm a student of this of this business of this industry. Yep. I've been to so many different factories, and I and I believe I've taken away a lot of great points from a lot of fantastic factories out there. And then there are things we do, especially with our fermentation process. Sure. Yep, definitely. That is totally different than anywhere else. Um, so even though the factory maybe is not as known as some of the bigger factories out there, we're not a small factory. Um, no, it's not a t it's not a hole in the wall. I'll tell you, you that. Know, yeah. a, a lot of people, you know, I'll go into a shop and people yeah. go, I never heard of you. Well, it doesn't matter. I go, they haven't heard of me. I'm probably bigger than most of these other boutique brands that you've heard of. It's just we never were focused on the U.S. Uh, to give you an analogy, you know, Balmoral came to the U.S. and they were a pretty big right. company internationally. Now they decided it wasn't worth it, and they and they exited the U.S. market because it is a tough market to uh, enter, especially from overseas. Yep. But um, they were huge, but people didn't know who they were either, you know. Um, so I tell you, look, just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not pretty big. We have over a hundred employees uh, at the factory, so I would say we're a good medium-sized factory. You know, we're not two guys at a table. No, I put it as a medium. I put it definitely and, as a medium. And nothing, and nothing against. I'm not trying to disparage yeah. any other factory that happens to be small. You can roll. Two guys can roll great cigars. But to do the production level of what we do, we do a, we do make a lot of cigars. Uh, again, 90% of what we produce, not only for a lot of other brands, it's overseas. So yeah. there are some brands that are are getting to be well known in this country that come out of our factory, and and uh, I'm happy to see that, and and hopefully I can help. Um, make that continue and grow over the years as well yep so so nick um i'll pick up a little of the story from what I and mean, we talked a lot about the core lines and certainly we could talk more about those um but i'll kind of pick the story up right around the time that you came on the last time you had 
really been working on the project with Island Jim Robinson. Uh, it became known as the, the Nick and Jim PBA. Uh, and it really started to take off right now. Um, tell us, I mean, just at a high level, um, I think a lot of people know the story, maybe how you guys met, but talk a little bit how that was a little different than maybe what you were doing with the LH Core Lines. Sure. Well, the LH Core Lines, basically, just to, just to briefly mention that, is a mild, medium, and full, three different blends, the Claro, Colorado, and Maduro lines, and there's seven Vitolas in each one of those lines. And um, again, they were originally blended and made for overseas, but they sell well in the U.S. as well. But I wanted to do something different here. And Jim Robinson, how we met, we met in Cuba, like seems everybody else I met in this industry. Yep. And uh, Jim said to me, hey, man, you know, uh, you know, let me try one of your cigars. And he doesn't really smoke Cuban cigars, so he had run out of his own. And I just kept feeding him the LH stuff. And Jim said, hey, how do I get this in my in my store? And I'm like... Sure, I can sell it to you, you know, in the U.S., no problem. So he started carrying the L.H. brand in his uh, shop, uh, the Leaf and Bean, in uh, Pittsburgh. Yep. And uh, he comes to me after a few months, and he says, Nick, this is a fantastic cigar. It's selling very well here uh, next to my own lines. And, you know, we just got to get more people to get to know who you are as a blender and, and as a brand owner. So uh, I said, well, Nick, uh, Jim, I'm, I'm all ears if you got any ideas. And he said, you know... I really can't force or ask my brokers to carry and sell your brand, but what if you made a blend for me and then I'll sell that and people will get to know who you are. So originally that blend and that project was known as the Levita Isla um, because I thought it would be a nice mashup between the Levita Havana yep. and the Island Gym. So Isla is island in Spanish, so Island Life sounded like a great name for a brand. and. Um, I said, Jim, I don't know if this cigar is going to sell, but I know your palate, I know your taste, and that's what I'm good at, customizing blends. So I'm going to make a blend for you, and whether it sells one stick in the U.S., I know you're going to love this cigar. And uh, after a couple of revisions, he loved it. In fact, you know, I don't want to tell any stories out of, out of school here, but it literally the only cigar Jim smokes, or he smokes predominantly. You'll never see him... If you ever see him with a cigar, you'll see a white band on it, and it's the Nick and Jim. Yeah. How the Levita Isla became the Nick and Jim was we had some um, issues with the branding of that name. Uh, somebody hit us with a cease and desist, which we we surpassed and we got over it. So we could have released it, and I and I wanted to because I thought the name was cool. I had a logo designed for it. But Jim said, you know what, I don't want to wait for any of this. I just want to release it. I don't care what we call it. Let's just call it the Nick and Jim and get it out there. And so I said, well, that's fine, Jim. But, you know, I had all this other stuff waiting and this and that. Uh, all right, so let's, how about, I said, why don't we just do a pre-release, so to speak, and make this, we'll make, you know, a first run of 20,000 sticks, and we'll call it the Nick and Jim PBE. The PBE standing for pre-band edition. Jim loved it, ran with it. And, um, you know, it just came together very naturally. We started using a basically a paper band uh, for the, the ring. And I went on the Internet and found this, you know, very crooked and old-looking typewriter-type font and typed on that band, uh, you know, Nick and Jim PBE. We put the band on it. We made very, very simple boxes. but And it was all tongue-in-cheek. We're on the side of the box. It said LH logo goes here. Island Jim logo goes here. And so it kind of looked like not ready for prime time, and we released it, and uh, 
people love the idea. So that's what happened in 2017, and the, the Nick and Jim PB was born. And uh, as you mentioned, it was well-received in the U.S., and uh, it's still going strong. Yeah, so it's, I was going to say, it's it's still a cigar you guys can get. Uh, it's not wasn't a one-and-done. And, done. and uh, did it open up a new audience for you compared to the core LH smokers? Did it open up some other things, or did it kind absolutely. of just— yeah, no, so absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the blend, that blend is totally different than the LH blend. Um, I'm using a special seed that I got from Cuba. You know, the one thing you got to say about Cuba, they use uh, some innovative techniques there as well. The one thing they have is a lot of resources. They have what they call the experimentation station uh, out in the Pinar uh, del Rio area where they just experiment with different seeds, constantly trying to come up with different um, ideas and things, and I, I found a seed there that was fantastic. Uh, it's known as the Vuelta Bajo seed. We ended up planting it in our uh, leased farm in Ecuador, and that wrapper, I just love the wrapper. I just love, um, you know, the sweetness that comes off that wrapper, and we use that in the uh, Nick and Jim line. And, of course, people enjoyed it, and um, I decided to kind of grow that type of blend that I consider more for the U.S. market, so to speak, or, you know, it's got Nicaraguan in there, it's got Ecuadorian, it's got the Brazilian Matafina. Um, it's more liking to what, you know, people in America normally smoke, I guess. It doesn't, I don't think it's got that Cuban feel to it, but uh, it's a fantastic blend. It's one of my favorites. Um, and so I wanted to grow that line. The, the Nick and Jim PB is, uh, comes in a 54 by 6 Vitola, a Toro, and uh, I wanted to kind of grow that line. And have, having spoken to Jim, you know, Jim's like, listen, Nick, the whole idea of the whole PBE thing was to get people to get to know you as a blender. Why don't you just run with it? So it happened to be during the, uh, the pandemic in, two, in uh, 2020. And um, it kind of helped in the sense that I couldn't even get bands if I wanted to during that time. So I wanted to release some different sizes. So um, I made a cigar. The next cigar that came out in that kind of line was using the same Vuelta Bajo wrapper and a lot of the same um, tobaccos that are in the, in the Nick and Jim. Uh, I created a cigar called the Ponzon. Uh, originally, just had just put the name Nick on it. Instead of saying Nick and Jim, it just said Nick on it. And a lot of people were calling it the Nick, and uh, I was okay with it because I didn't know if I was going to really expand on that. But the funny thing is the way that the Ponzon name came... I do speak a fairly passable Spanish, but I remember at the factory people saying Ponzon this and Ponzon that. I'm like, what the heck is a Ponzon? You know, and they said, oh, you know, it means like a uh, fat guy, like pot-bellied. And I'm like, oh, so they're making fun of me. Is that what they did? <laughs> and, and they're like, no, 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 no. It's because, you know, the cigar is, uh, is fat in the center and it tapers. So the Ponzon is a perfecto. And um, it's tapered on both ends, and in the middle it's a 64 gauge. And so the Ponzon is known as the Nick, but it's really the Ponzon. So that was the first one, and that was very well received. And um, on that success of that cigar, people were asking for a smaller version of that. So I came out with the, the Nick Jr. Um, the Nick Jr. is basically a small version of the, of the Ponzon. And a little what it's a Botella style um, uh, Figurado as well. And that sells just uh, just as well and then I made um, a um, Lonsdale version of it which I didn't have a Lonsdale in my LH line so all the Vitolas that I have in the Nick line they don't cross except the Toro so 
Uh, I was going to say they don't cross over in the LH, but I guess the Toro does. So my retailers were saying, hey, why don't you make a Toro version of the of the Nick? And I said, well, you know what? If I keep the blend the same as the Ponzone and the Bottega, you know, blend it to the size. I don't know. I think the Nick and Jim is very similar. Uh, but if you guys want a Nick Toro, okay. Uh, and so uh, Jim and through his distribution, now I'm distributing the Nick and Jim, but Jim's uh, people sell the Nick and Jim. And uh, I sell the Nick, which is a Toro, similar to the Nick and Jim. But uh, so in the core line of the Nick, now we have the the Ponzone, which was the first one. You have the, the Junior, which is the, the Bottega stick, the Lonsdale, and then the Toro. And just recently, I launched, again, by popular demand, certain shops, they wanted a 7 by 70 and I said, wow, okay. Not my favorite size, but uh, I was amazed at how well it sold. I, I made an initial run of the, uh, of the, of the Nick, um, I call it the, the big Nick, <laughs> how creative. Um, and that sold like crazy and uh, continues to sell. So I'm happy that uh, the U.S. market has embraced it. Um, they seem to like it. And it's kind of given me a new fire. And, and I've been blending um, all different stuff. And I have some really cool things coming up in, to, in 2020 that I'm so excited to uh, announce and release. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's exciting to hear. Um, one thing that you, I think the Nick, a few things. So those sizes, you, you didn't have, you didn't have a Figurato, um, before the Ponzone. No, but, I didn't. But you kind of, I think when you were starting to, I guess, right before the pandemic, let's say, and, and you know, you've been doing a lot of traveling. This was all responses to feedback that you got from your retailers, right? Absolutely. As you were, Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. That, that's. I kind of like everything else I've done, you know, in this business, I, I kind of do it organically. Um, just kind of taking this journey and uh, I love where it's taken me. And I'm in no hurry to get anywhere. I just love making cigars. And more importantly, I love people enjoying you know, the cigars I make. Yeah. But you're right. I, I had no perfectos or, or um, in, in the line. At first, you know, I was like, you know, why spend the extra time, effort and money into making a perfecto? I didn't see because I wasn't a, personally. I wasn't a big smoker of uh, perfecto sizes, but you know what? The smoking experience that you get from smoking, for instance, the Ponzone, it just—it's totally different. And uh, I understand why people like it, and uh, I'm really happy that I went down that path. Right. No, that's good. So, folks would ask, like, basically, the Nick was kind of an offshoot of the Nick and Jim, and yes. yeah, and then you kind of came full circle back around with a Toro, but not. A full circle because that Toro was based on the blends you were using for the Knicks. That Nick Toro was based on those other blends, basically. That's correct. That's okay. correct. But it yeah. does it does share the same wrapper, you know, as as the Nick and Jim. Sure, sure, I get it. I get. It. I mean, we, it's funny because uh, I had this conversation with Pete Johnson about like how Brown Label went to Red Label went to Veracruz. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of a similar thing. I think it was kind of a similar kind of journey he took with those. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so no, that that's good as well. You um. You mentioned, like you didn't mention. Um, yeah, you did mention. You mentioned the LH Claro, right? Right. Um, that was a cigar when you introduced it. It was that's your Connecticut, right? And that was when you, that was one of the blends that you retrofitted. Like you didn't retrofit. You, you changed it. You actually changed it. Yes, I did. Yeah. Initially. And then you had an interesting reaction after the change. Why don't you talk about that? Right. Well. 
the original Claro blend um, was a bit stronger, if you really you know, yeah. get down to it. Yeah. And um, people liked it, but the feedback I was getting from retailers is like, you know what, people get a little bit surprised because it's got a little bit more oomph than they're expecting out of a Connecticut. So I said, oh, all right. So to keep it in line with what I was trying to accomplish, which is make a true mild cigar, a medium cigar, and a, and a full-bodied, um, I came out with a milder version of the Claro. Um, that cigar, in my opinion, um, I'd put that, that Connecticut up to anything out there. Um, it's very, very flavorful, even the current one. Very flavorful, but yet still on the mild side. It's the closest um, that I have in the line that's similar to what a Cuban cigar would taste like. Mild, but just the lots of flavor. Mm -hmm. The original blend was going to go away. I mean, I was selling it overseas, but I was kind of introducing the new Claro. And I had a, a few retailers that called me up and said, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, what's this Claro you're sending me? What is this? And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, you don't like it? They're like, no, no, it's fine. But what happened to the original one? And I'm like, well, you know, I was kind of phasing that out. And I went to this new blend. And it seems like everybody liked it. You're one of the few shops that uh, mentioned that they even noticed that it was, was different. And they said, no, we, we'd love to sell the old one. What, can we do that? And I said, yeah, sure. And um, uh, this one particular retailer out of California said, look, we'll buy whatever you got left in inventory in the U.S., ship it all over here, and uh, which was about 40 bundles. And uh, I sent, you know, 40 bundles over, and a month and a half later, they're calling me back, and they're like, we need more. And I'm like, what are you doing with this stuff? I mean, it was like literally a month, a month and a half later. So I said, all right, I'll start producing more. And the funny thing is, you know, goes to show you in this industry, everybody wants what they can't have. So the original Claro, I put the original black label band on it, which I use for all my overseas cigars. And people were calling me, retailers, and saying, hey, man, you're holding out on us. When can I get this black label? Said, what do you mean <laughs> black label? I don't have a black label cigar. Yeah, we want the black label, LH. And I'm like, God, what the hell are these guys talking about? They send me a picture, and I go, oh, okay, that's the original Claro that you didn't want originally? And they're like, oh, really? But all of a sudden, now they wanted it. So <laughs> what I decided to do is make it more of a limited, um, not a limited run, but a limited production. offering. Yeah. yeah. No, no, production-wise, I, I have plenty of it. It's just that I'm limiting the retailers. So I kind of regionally, I'll give it to certain territories and, and really supportive accounts. And... It's just so funny where originally, um, but you know what it is? Maybe, maybe it was before its time where now I think the trend has been for more and more flavorful and stronger Connecticut's out there. And it fits well into that uh, profile for sure. So the black label was born, was released and also does well. Uh, that's, yeah, that, that's an interesting story. Nick, I wonder, we haven't really talked about this part of that question, but you know, we recently we've seen like Espinosa cigars come back with their 601 Black, and a lot of their rationale for doing that was that was a cigar they discontinued about a decade ago, and at the time it was a bolder Connecticut, and the market maybe wasn't ready for a Connecticut like that. Now it is. Do you attribute maybe the same thing about that original LH uh, Black Label Claro with that? One hundred percent. Same okay. exact thing. Same yeah. exact thing. Yeah. yeah. So. It was a, it's a good, it was a good thing to happen actually. It was because you had that, you know, you had yeah. to back because you get it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nice job. Um, you know, we we've done a lot of um, 
we all do these cigar of the year lists, right, Nick? Yeah. And um, there was one cigar on my list that caught an interest. It got, and I'm going to say, it got a positive reaction, not, at, or and it got a lot of questions, right? Um, and it was the LE that you did, right? right. Which people who smoked it knew what it was about. People who didn't smoke it say, "What's this cigar about?" Um, I will say that two. I think I told you two members of the Coop team did smoke that cigar. And, and understood, you know, why it was on my list. Uh, they, they did like it. But this, you haven't really played the limited edition game up until this point. So why do a limited edition project now? Yeah, I wasn't planning on doing a limited edition. Uh, and I still don't believe. I mean, again, it's marketing and hype and all that. Yeah. And I, I try not to, to play those games. The, the only reason I released it initially as an LE is because I was able to procure... A container full of this tobacco and there's a lot of tobacco in a container but I didn't know you know once that ran out if I would be able to get more of that same tobacco right so that's the only reason it's an LE it's it's still available I still have the the cigars and um, and the way that I just I was gonna really use that cigar again only for the overseas mar- overseas market right. but I ended up doing during the pandemic a, um, a nice I don't know what you want to call it, it a zoom Herf, where we had over 100, 150 people, and it was a uh, politician out of Texas, uh, part of the Bush clan. Oh, and, I remember uh, this, yeah. I remember yeah, it. Uh, and uh, it was actually Jeb's son. And, George P., um, George P., right? George P. Bush, yeah. yeah. He was, um, he's, you know, very, very, um, he's very big in Texas, let's put it that way. And I'm sure they're trying to groom him for governor at some point, and who knows, onwards and uh and you know i i wish him the best of luck he's a he's a great guy and and uh i'm glad that we had this event but what we did for this event uh, i think we had 150 attendees it was more of a a campaign thing for him or, or just to try to do something with the people and uh, he approached me and asked me if we could do uh some cigars for for these 150 attendees that had purchased tickets to this thing so I decided to um, to give two cigars to each attendee one was the Claro in case they were a mild or, or you know uh, a new smoker and then I wanted to do something special so that's how really the LE came about I put one of these special cigars in these packs that were mailed out to these people and the feedback was just tremendous so I said you know what I wasn't intending to release this for the US market but what the heck you know why not and I did, and uh, yeah, the, the response has been great, and uh, I think it's a very, very worthy cigar. Oh, I, I agree. And you put the original LH Black Label bands on that. What was some of the rationale to do that? Well, because originally that was going to be an international cigar, meaning okay. it wasn't originally intended. So I used the original Black Band, which I don't normally use on any of the cigars uh, here in the U.S. And the reason for that. The original band, even though I think it's very classic and, um, again, paying homage to Cuba and the way those cigars, actually it was almost the same exact shape as a Romeo and Juliet band, and I literally just, you know, put that little logo on it, and that's what I sell overseas. So I put that, but the originally a lot of the retailers said, you know what, these cigars are fantastic, but this band is kind of plain. And I, I said, that. okay, all right, well, I can <laughs> fix that. I, I love doing designs and graphics and I came out with a, um, a more colorful and again paying homage to uh, actually my favorite band out there is the Opus X I'm sure it's a lot of people's favorite band very ornate 
um, and very nice looking. So using the reds and, and that type of coloring, I, I ended up making um, the, you know, the current bands for the, uh, for the LH, and they look like this, in case anybody has not seen an LH band. So that's, you know, reds and golds, and, and so that's what the LH bands look like now um, with different color codes for each of the three blends. But the original black band was a very simple black band. And the funny thing is when I tried to use, because I was very proud of that, that, uh, that ring, uh, tried to use it overseas, everyone's like, what is this? This is too big and gaudy. We don't want this. We want the original band. So it's like, okay. It's like you having two kids. You can't win. Yeah, I said, so, so I basically split it down. I said, okay, fine. We use the original band for overseas uh, sales, and we use the, the uh, U.S. band for U.S. sales. Now, the U.S. band now has been introduced into a lot of other countries as well. They do like it, uh, but initially everybody liked the black band. So the rationale was to use the international band. And since I don't use it really in this country, I, I threw that on there um, to get it out to the uh, to the to these attendees of, of the campaign thing for George P. And uh, continue to use the same band today that's on a, that cigar. That's a good cigar. Like I said, uh, you know, it's if you haven't tried that cigar, definitely just find it. You can Google and find it um, for sure. Because it, it was a real, like I said, uh, I know the guy. I, I know one place in North Carolina had it. I think it was B and B, the B and B shop. Yeah, yeah, in Nashville. That's where Ben lives. So that's where he got it, and then he got some to Aaron Nielsen, and that's how. Well, that's how it's all. It's all. There's a number of retailers in North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, you know, through Charlotte and South Carolina, you know, yeah. that they could pick it up. But yeah, it's um, right now. I don't limit it, but trying to play the same game. The people that are more supportive of the LH brand, I, I give them the limited edition. Everybody wants the limited edition. You know, I never really cared about ratings because I, I felt that, you know, um, you know, cigars are so, you know, so personal and, and everybody has their own idea of what is a good cigars, you know, but you know, there's that saying, you don't care about ratings until you get one kind of thing. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm happy that, uh, that you felt that it was a good cigar. I'm not, you know, discounting that at all. And, it can't hurt, right? So, no, it, it, no, it's very good on that. Um, no, it's very good. Uh, like I said, I enjoy it, and you know, I was glad. Uh, I was glad it was kind of like Ben was just able to get his hands on it. So, uh, and then I know Aaron Nielsen, he buys everything by the box. So he found a box somewhere. I don't know who he ended up buying the box from, but he ended up finding a box and bought a whole box of them. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's and that guy just buys by the box when when he yeah. Uh, he buys by the box blindly, or he buys by the box when he likes something. So the follow-up box is usually when he likes something. So, so yeah, you struck good with that one. So, um, nice. let's um, you know, before we kind of get into some of the other segments, um, I think in the last couple of years, Nick, I mean, and look, you said this is not an easy business, right? And it, and and I know it wasn't easy for you at the beginning, right? But it's almost like the last two years, the momentum has really. You've had a lot of momentum. I, I, I could see it for sure. Uh, I've talked to you about some things that I've noticed, right, that, that right. were going on. Yep. What do you attribute? I mean, I know you got the cigars out there, but sometimes the cigars are not enough. So what do you attribute to what you've been able to do, particularly in a pandemic year and, and still we're not totally out of a pandemic? What were you able to do to kind of create some of this growth that you've had? Well, I don't have any one thing I can really attribute. I mean, I think the Nick line help bring some awareness to the LH line, believe it or not, because 
for the same reason why I would say some people would probably find the Nick looking like a, a I don't want to use the word cheaper because there's nothing cheap about this cigar, but the fact that it just has a white paper band with just simply Nick on it, some people would go, what is this, a pre-release? What is the white band? But at the same time, it really struck a chord. People out there really loved the fact that the simplicity of it and um, people were buying it because of that. And then they were discovering the LH. Uh, so I think the Nick helped, you know, uh, refuel, I guess yep. you could say, the LH. Um, I was able to also start getting some some key um, brokers. I mean, this business, it's a tough business. I mean, there's a couple different models. I mean, Skip does well with no brokers, and uh, I give him a lot of credit for yep. being able to have such a great following and doing it all in-house with really no outside salespeople. Um, that's a tough game. Um, brokers, I, I like to say that the good brokers out there generally have the cigars. They, they have a big portfolio and trying to get in there. Uh, the The problem with that is if, if a good broker, he carries between, you know, eight to ten lines, me getting in there, you know, then I'm what? Cigar number eight, cigar number nine. So a lot of times I feel that you kind of get lost in the shuffle. You know, they're, they're out there to promote their one or two, their, their more well-known brands. So you kind of get lost. Um, so the idea is trying to get good brokers and people that are actually going to go out there and, you know, offer the cigar. Um, and I think that helped um, me traveling. In the pandemic time when I wasn't traveling, I just started, you know, selling the Nick line. <clears throat> and uh, some of these cigar clubs picked up some of the LH stuff. And I think that got, you know, a lot, I think a lot of brands uh, had a, a little bit of a, a surge during the pandemic. I think well, mostly every brand did. Um, but I think a lot of these cigar clubs attributed to that because they were getting them in their, their care packages or monthly cigars and, and being in there uh, introduced uh, the cigars to a lot of people. And so, um, you know, I've, I have had some good growth in the last couple of years. So I'm happy about that. And just to kind of clarify, too, the, the cigars that were going in those packs were not like, you know, they weren't like just these one-off limited. They, they, no, these no, were your no. core. These, these are your these core are line, my core stuff. Yep. These were your core lines going in there. And I think that was a, you know, I think that was because I've been critical, obviously, of a lot of those, those limiteds. But I think in this case, it got people exposed to your brand, obviously, and they, you know, they they smoked it, which was good. There, there was no reason for me to do, and, and I've been asked to, and I, I probably will down the road, uh, make some, you know private labeled stuff for these people but i'm like you know what i don't think enough people have had the exposure to the lh that they that they need so i think by getting that in there it'll it'll yeah. be a good start and they agreed and and that helped as well so that's good that's good to hear excellent no, i think you've had a, like i said it's done very well um aaron anything else we want to hit with nick on the brands before we go to the next next second i think you nailed it okay great um, wait, 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 Coop. The only thing that I want to kind of tease out there, I, I mentioned that I have something new coming out. <laughs> well, I, I, never asked, have... I never asked that question, by the way, you, but you're free to talk about it. <laughs> well, you were going to go to something totally different. So, I mean, no, 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 go ahead. No, you're fine. It's Absolutely. your show, Coop. It's no, your no, show. Go for, it. <laughs> go for it, man. You're, you're All right. Having... We're teasing yeah. free, but I'm letting you, I'm giving you an exemption. <laughs> okay. Well, it might be even premature, but this, this new blend that I've been working on, I haven't decided what to release it as a nick an lh or something entirely different i'm seeing so many things out there and and again i'm a student and uh, of this industry and i notice that it it's not 
uh, as much as it should be all about the cigar, and that's what I always, part of my, my thing about the Nick is it's not about the band, it's not about the box, it's about the cigar. Um, the LH, same thing, it's all about the cigar. But apparently, you need more than just a good cigar out there. You need some marketing. You need some uh, some something that uh, draws people to that sea of uh, gazillion cigars out there to make people want to want to buy your cigar. And um, you know, as I tell any retailer that comes on board, they can be rest assured that that person is going to have a good smoking experience. But it's something that's got to be smoked. If they haven't heard of it, um, you know, the construction is always spot on. I no, never have issues. Uh, with construction or quality so it's just a matter of getting into people's hands so this new blend that i'm working on again more i like to say more to the american market i'm using some flavors in there uh, when i say flavors it's nothing artificial uh, using the tobacco flavors that is just different than anything else i've released and uh, the few people that have tried it and uh, they're really excited about it which makes me even more excited about it um, getting some of these tobaccos, because they're tobaccos I have not used before, uh, has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, I'm really excited for this cigar, and I know that uh, my retailers and hopefully a lot of new retailers will come on board with this blend as well. So That's uh, all. That's all. It, no more teas. That's it. <laughs> no, but I'm a, so, um, brand to be determined. Uh, but I believe, yeah, I, I, you I know believe what? this I was, is the one I smoked, right, in Charlotte? You did. You did. Yes, that's all uh, I know. You know, you know about what you're talking about. I, I just, I don't, I want to go in a direction because obviously, you know, my ethnicity is Greek. And um, I was trying to maybe use something along the Greek lines. There's a couple other cigar manufacturers who are of Greek descent. But I was trying to use something with the Greek background or something that just kind of just resonated more with the American market. Um so I'm still working on it. I'm open to any ideas. Anybody wants to shoot me uh, an email or, uh, you know, you can reach me at lhcigars.com or on Facebook. Um, any ideas? I'm open to any suggestions out there. Nice. Now, I know it's not in this cigar, but they do grow tobacco in Greece, right? They do grow cigar tobacco in Greece? Well, yeah, most of the tobacco that's grown in Greece is used for uh, cigarette tobacco. But okay. it's funny that you mentioned that because... My family, meaning my uh, even my parents before they uh, immigrated to the United States, were in the tobacco business. You know, my ancestors were tobacco farmers in the northern part of Greece in the Macedonia region. And I actually have some land up there. And one day it would be a great dream to be able to use leaves from my ancestral, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, lands up there. And who knows, maybe that will be a reality someday if this pandemic kind of simmers down a little bit and we can start traveling a little bit better and um i got the people to be able to do the the farming there i know where to get them uh as you know where everything for me starts and uh i'm looking forward to that chapter and yeah i think and they've experimented i've talked to some really really knowledgeable um you know farmers that have heard of even greek tobacco and again there's a lot of other countries that we're not using right now for tobacco but it's not to say that it can't happen because with technology today and what you can put in the soil, uh, you know, uh, mineral wise, you know, again, it's got to have the right uh, combination of uh, sunlight and rain and everything else. But who knows? It might uh, it might be something that happens for me down the road as a project. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, Nick, this is um, what we call our cattle baron cigars steak question of the night. 
It's a question related to steak. Um, okay. And you know the Cattle Baron guys. They were on Smooth Roads with us. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah remember they came guys. down to Atlanta? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun day. Um, but uh, very simple. What's your favorite cut of steak? I do like steak. Um, I would say a ribeye. I would say a I would I would say a ribeye. I, a rib I love my steak. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it's funny because normally I used to always get, you know, medium rare, but now I'm tending to go a little bit more on the rarer side. From a good steakhouse, man, uh, you know, some people, I, I don't understand people that love super, you know. Raw meat? Over, no, I do. I'd rather have something, not that I like raw meat, but I'd rather have something closer to raw than to overcooked, you know, well yeah. done. Because yeah, I think you lose a lot of it, but uh, I just love a very tender steak, and a ribeye is a, yeah. a perfect steak to go for me. So yeah, that's, that's a good pick. I'm a, I'm a ribeye guy. You know, Nick, my father, right, um, is the opposite of this, right? He wants his steak like mutilated, okay, overcooked, mm -hmm. right? So two years ago, when I was up in New York. We we took him to a steakhouse. My dad's getting older, right? So yeah, um, it was um a local place in Queens. And, they, and he says, I want it well done. Right. So I, I, I go, I go, to, I go to the waiter, apologize to the chef. It's <laughs> what I just said. I said, he's got to burn this thing. Trust me. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I said, he's going he's to send it back. And I'm like, just trust me on this one. <laughs> and my dad's like, how come, how come I never get that type of result? Because, because I said what I said, dad, they're afraid that they're gonna, they're always afraid to, yeah. uh, that they're going to overcook it for you. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I, I did not inherit that, that, that I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> um, I do like it. I'm, I like the medium. Well, the medium is where I'll go, but yeah. Uh, depend. I like the Pittsburgh rare. We, we talked about that last week, oh, with it's yes. charred on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I like that on a New York strip actually better on with that. Okay, Nick. So, uh, I'm going to do a, a sponsor break. If you need to stretch for a minute or whatever, um, I'll do that. And then we'll get into our next segment. Sounds good. All right. So um, I want to mention Tailored Smoke located in the heart of downtown Charlotte's Epicenter and outside the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Tailored Smoke is your one-stop shop for a tailored smoking experience. And by Jerry Tobacco, the authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cuba is a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it was one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Arroyo took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. In 2000, he successfully reintroduced Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julio and Husso have brought their very own brand to market, each containing now authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in 100% authentic Corojo Puro, San Andreas Maduro, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade, Cameroon or Habano wrapper representing the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, we take pride in the fact that we are cigar fanatics just like you. That is why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, we have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers like Padron, Abo, Davidoff, CLE, and Drew Estate. We have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount prices. But don't just take our word for it. Forbes magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as a best of web uh, retailer 
and it was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock, car, stock cigar shops in America. Place an order online at www.coronacigar.com or visit one of Corona's four Central Florida superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. I just want to mention Aganorsa Leaf. If you go to the Cigar Coop page at cigar-coop.com on the sidebar, uh, you'll see some content that you can access for the Aganorsa experience. Uh, Aganorsa Leaf is doing a, uh, a large video library, and they've been building up a lot of content. And we're featuring right now information on the uh, Aganorsa Leaf Supreme Leaf Robusto. Uh, that new Robusto was going to be debuting at TPE next week, and you should start seeing that the following month in retailers. So Terrence Riley will take you through uh, some of the things that are going on there. And there's plenty of good content he's, he's been putting out there over the past few weeks, and we'll be, we'll be highlighting that from time to time. Finally, I want to get into uh, Alec Bradley uh, Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley is a family company. Alan Ruman named the company after his two sons, Alec and Bradley, when they were just little tykes. Now they're all grown up, working alongside their dad, making the best damn cigars you ever smoked. Join the family. Try one today. Learn more at alecbradley.com. Okay, Nick. So this is a non-cigar segment we're doing, okay? Um, okay. And Aaron and I got to put ourselves to this test, too. So let me give you the background here before you kill me, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. You will, I don't think you will. All right. So if folks remember the Smooth Drawers radio show, uh, Gary Layden, how can I put it? Gary would latch on to something, right? And he would just mercilessly bust your balls on it. And he, and he found this. He had this way of doing it like, like no other person. Would you agree with that? That's what he was known for. He was he known got for. A, he got a big kick out of just busting chops. And yes. he went, and I'll tell you something, he went over the line at times. There's no question about that, right? <laughs> we won't go there, okay? Yeah. Love the guy, but man, there were times that Gary, what are you? Okay, so Nick, you got this reputation on the show. And I, and I think this might have been a little unfair, but we're going to find out tonight. You All got right. the notion of being a picky eater. Hmm. Are you a picky eater? Yes, 100%. Okay. Uh. So, okay, okay. So, what we're going to do tonight, okay, is we're going to find out how picky and eater you are, okay? Okay. All right. And I'm going to keep score here, and I'll show the scores at the end how this goes. Um, and Aaron and I got to play along with this, too. So, what happens is um, if you follow the internet, you see these like picky eater tests that they have where they list right. items and you give yourself a point if you don't eat that item. Right. So, we're going to go through, and I, some of these were really long. I, I, I cut it down to 25. So we'll go through rapid fire. And we're going to see who the pickiest eater is among the three of us. Is that, I win. Is that fair? No, I win. <laughs> don't, don't even bother going. There. I win. We're, we're going to see how much you win by. Though. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'll name the item. And if you, you either yes or no, like you, yes, I eat it. No, I don't. And okay. if you, yes, you get a point. So, All Nick, right. you're the guest. We're going to start off with blue cheese. No. <sighs> Aaron, blue cheese. <laughs> yes. I get yes for blue cheese as well. Uh, <laughs> Nick is already trailing it. Yeah, no. Canned, the only cheese. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Canned tuna. Yes. Oh, wow. I know your answer, Aaron. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to balance these out, too, because I yeah, know okay. Aaron doesn't eat. And I said yes. But tuna with mayonnaise is a big no for me. I don't yeah. like mayonnaise. <laughs> but out of the can, absolutely. All right. So Nick, you 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 eat canned tuna. 
Yep. Aaron, you don't, and I, I, I eat canned tuna. Yeah. Ketchup. No. Now, uh, I I didn't start eating ketchup until I was, I don't know, uh, uh, as a kid, couldn't stand it. I don't prefer it. Occasionally, I will dip a, a French fry in it from time to time. So I guess it's a yes, but it's not something. When I get my hamburgers, I get them plain, which is another I, thing. I have that, seen that too, yeah. You know, which uh, Gary would, would uh, bust my chops I, about. I know. I who know eats, he would. Who eats plain burgers? Well, yeah. I like tomatoes. I like lettuce on it, but I'm not big with the condiments. And I don't like ketchup in general. Yes. All right. Aaron, ketchup. Yes. I'm going to go. this. So I get my first point here. No. There's a no for ketchup with me with that one. Really? I like barbecue sauce. I, I like salsas and stuff. But ketchup, it's just too sweet for me. All right. It's too sweet. Yeah. I agree, Coop. I agree. We all right there? Mayonnaise. No. No. Oh, another picky eater point. Wow. I've never, ever eaten mayonnaise. I don't even <laughs> like the smell of it. <laughs> All right, Aaron, mayonnaise. Yes. And I'm a no for mayonnaise because it's egg. <laughs> All right. Let's go to mustard. No. You, you do not eat mustard. I do not eat mustard. Never okay. have, never will. Oh, my goodness. You are, we are running away with this. Aaron, mustard. Yes. And I'm a yes for that one as well. All right. I know this one. I know Aaron's form for this one, but I'll, I'll say it. Any. Sushi. You know, I uh, wasn't a big sushi eater, but the first time I had sushi was actually in Cuba of all places at this specific spot. Uh, certain sushis, yes. Now I'm exp- uh, yeah, the answer would be yes. Okay, so good one. Aaron, I know you're a no. Correct. And I'm a yes. All right. This is escargot. No, 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 no. <laughs> no for me. Oh, no. I get a yes for that one. All right. It's an easy one. Carrots. Yes. Love okay. carrots. Okay. Yes for okay. me as well. Yeah. All right, that's the first one where you announced them. Yes, we all <laughs> eat the carrots. Okay. Well, right. we can sit there like Bugs Bunny and mm-hmm. eat some carrots together. All right. Eggs. Um, I like hard-boiled and scrambled. Yes. Okay. Don't like omelets, don't like all the other stuff, but regular scrambled eggs, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes for me. Yes, and everyone knows it's no for me, a big no yeah. for me. <laughs> really? All right. Liver. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. No. And it's no for me. That's a that's a unanimous no for all of us. All right. Brussels sprouts. Uh I I can't lie, my wife has made me try it. I eat it on occasion, but I would have to say no. But I've I've actually tasted it. That's okay. It's if you don't eat, yeah, you have don't to care it. for it. Don't care for it. No. Yeah. All yes, right. for me, uh, Brussels sprouts. And a yes for me as well. So, zucchini. 
you know, I've, I actually have eaten fried zucchini I can tolerate, but I guess it's a yes. Okay. But, reluct- but reluctantly. Okay. I mean, you just, that's okay. Yeah. 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 For me. Yes. Uh, another way, another way to try it if you haven't had it is uh, shredded zucchini as like a spaghetti. Really um, good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to say don't eat spaghetti, but I'm just saying if you have it as a spaghetti, it's another oh. interesting way. If you like pasta sauce kind of stuff, oh, with that, I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good. Yep, and I'm I'm a yes for that one as well. So that was a unanimous yes for us. Tofu. Yes. Wow. Okay, Nick. I didn't expect that one. Yeah. Yep. Aaron, tofu. I eat tofu. Yeah. All right. And that's a no for me. I cannot stand the sight I don't, of tofu. Maybe not the sight, but I don't think it's got much taste either. But uh, you know, oh, I just it, I it's can kind do of it. Slimy looking. Like a, if you can, but uh, if you get, if you cook it crispy, it's pretty good. And you can do salt and pepper, like a salt and pepper tofu, pretty good. Hmm. Well, if it's crispy, I don't have to look at that slimy stuff. Like yeah, yeah. Egg white. It kind of reminds me of an egg white. That's you can get a deep like deep fried and salt and pepper. It's pretty good. Oh, okay, hmm. all right. Grapefruit. No. No, no for Nick. Yes for me. Uh, yes for you, and a no for me. Wow, I, I'm the... like, I, <laughs> I don't know, Coop. You're pretty picky. I I, that's what that I'm saying. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not. That's why I'm saying this is this is a fair test we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> brown rice. Yes, love brown rice. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes for me. Did he Did freeze up? Yeah, he looks like he froze. <laughs> that brown rice froze him up. <laughs> I do like white rice. Probably like white rice more, but uh, I love Chinese, you know, rice. That's a nice brown. I mean, it's technically not brown rice, but uh, I do prefer white rice. And we'll wait yeah. for Coop to get back. I think he's all frozen up on us there. Yep. I think we're probably still live. Yeah, we're still live. That's we're, good. <laughs> With the exception of Coop. Yeah. Uh, so I can go through these. Uh, oh, he's, he's gone. He's, he's gone, gone for sure now. Yeah. You got the rest of the list we can go yeah, through? Yeah, I got the rest of the list. Let me, uh, let me just bring up my uh, file and I can uh, collect the data here that he had going. Yeah, I've been a picky eater my whole life. I mean... My college fraternity brothers and uh, friends would always make fun of me because I would have plain hamburger. And that, that was a big joke. But the funny thing is, my son, I wanted to have him open his horizons to all types of food, but it must be genetic. He also was a big plain hamburger guy. And I think he eats more, or he's more adventurous than I am in, in the food area, but um, I think it might be genetic. Just don't like it. But I, I don't know, Aaron. Like for me, and I know this is very childish, but I'll look at something and I'll just go, no. And it's along the texture or what it looks yeah. like more that it just will, I have no desire just from the way it looks. And I, and I should try more, but, uh, you know, I've gone this long. I'm not going to change now. Right. Yeah. All right. So the next one is wheat bread. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a good, that's, that's a good, for, good one for me as well. Like I have no, no problem with wheat bread. I think Coop probably, I mean, would like it maybe who would prefer white bread but yeah i I think he would go for it wheat bread is better for you uh healthier um and it doesn't taste bad yeah all right so coop messaged me he said his internet went down so we'll keep going and see if he comes back up all right all right 
eggplant? No. Okay. Um, I will say yes. Uh, again, like a eggplant parmesan. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good there with the with the sauce and all that stuff and the yeah, cheese. Chicken, chicken parmesan sounds good, but there no. you go. <laughs> All right, uh, cottage cheese. Oh, absolutely not. Just that, just looking at thing? it, that's okay. a texture thing. Just looking <laughs> at it, and I go, no, 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 no. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have no problem with cottage cheese. Um, by itself, it's you know not my favorite, but uh, throw in some fruit or some pineapple, something like that. It makes it you know a little bit more of a sweeter uh, type of thing. You can get you can get by it. I think. I I would guess that coop probably doesn't like cottage cheese as well and just from he seems to be a little bit of a if he doesn't like eggs which yeah is, i don't understand uh, his just from the eggs. look of because he doesn't like the look of eggs he can't like what cottage cheese looks like yeah yeah oh it looks like he's back he's back yeah uh i told coop, you i had an cottage, internet problem cottage cheese coop yes or no for you cottage cheese is a no <laughs> uh, see, I was, I, I'm on to you, man. Hey, I got you. Uh, so, who were you guys for cottage cheese? Both. Nick's a no, no, and I'm a yes. All right, Nick's a no. I'm a no. Uh, and then I, I, I guess you went through brown rice. Give me the brown rice ones real quick. Yes. Yes. No, for me. I had a feeling. Wheat, wheat, wheat bread. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes for us. And eggplant. <laughs> No. Yes. Uh, yes for me. Okay. Really? Oh, yep, okay. I like it. All right. And cottage cheese, you were a no? Yep. I Aaron was, a, was no. a yes, and I'm a yes. no. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So apologize for the internet going down. Like I said, it's been a long time. All right. Bananas. You know, again, Cuba has been my area of growth in the food area as well um i do like some you know fried bananas there the but uh, especially in a chip but as a raw banana like peel it and eat it never okay i'm good with bananas you're good with bananas yep and i do not like bananas i could put it in a smoothie i can eat it in a shake type thing but not as a raw banana no uh, all right. All right. Beans. What kind of beans? There's all kinds of beans. Um, let's just pick uh, <laughs> black beans. Love black beans. Okay. Yep, I'm good with black beans. We're all good with black beans. Sauerkraut. No. No, Nick. I love hot dogs, but again, plain. Uh-huh. No I'm, good for, I'm good for sauerkraut. I'm good for sauerkraut, too. All right. Uh, we're getting down here. Russian salad dressing. No. <laughs> yes, I'm fine. I mean, if he doesn't eat Aaron, Russian mayonnaise salad dressing. and ketchup, obviously he's not going to eat them when they're combined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what's funny? Um, cocktail sauce. That's mm. a combination of ketchup yeah. Yeah, that's and a no for horseradish. I can do that, even though I'm not a ketchup fan. I can do you know cocktail sauce, and that's what horseradish and ketchup really mixed. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So you were no for Russian salad dressing. 
No, absolutely not. And Aaron, what will you? Russian dressing, yes. All right. See, this is going to be close, believe it or not. <laughs> Peanut butter. Yes. Wow. Yes, yes right. for me. No for me. Are you kidding me? Peanut butter? I don't like peanut butter. <laughs> wow. You never had peanut butter when no. you were a kid? Peanut butter P- PBJ sandwiches? Not, Nothing? No. Not, oh, oh, the jelly oh. was worse. I'm more picky than you think. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's, it's funny. Jelly alone? No. Not a fan, but in a in a PBJ sandwich. Yep. You know, I'll do it. All right. Oatmeal? No. Nick. That's a texture thing. I can't imagine you liking it. I like it. I think yes. Do you? I don't yeah, do it. Yeah. Now I'm so surprised, Coop, because yeah. I mean it looks like cottage cheese and all these other things you don't like. I would figure it's a texture thing for you. You know, it's again the cottage cheese, like the egg white thing, is what it's happening with. Hmm. You put some brown sugar in it and stuff, and you know, but I can eat it. I can eat it. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. And the last one, lentils. I can eat it. Okay. Nick. Yeah. We all get a yes. All right, so I am going to sum up the totals here, <laughs> and we're going to see what the grand results is. Uh, going here, Nick gets. Of course, I can. Uh, <laughs> of course, I don't do this right. All right, Nick has fourteen points. Fourteen out of twenty-five. Wow. Yeah, that's. A... I, I I thought it would be Aaron, higher to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, you you killed it. You only had four. Yeah, just the seafood ones. <laughs> it was the seafood one. And, and the liver. Now, and the liver. now we know 11. not only Mikey will eat it, but <laughs> Mikey will eat it and so will Aaron. That's right. Not bad. Not bad. Nick, I mean, it was a I, – I, I made a run at you. I mean, so, yeah. again – I uh, didn't know that about you. I was, mean – And neither did Gary because I think he would have put you on that uh, radar and you would have been well, I, 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 one I, of I his jokes want... as well. I said, you know, I kind of picked them out at random. There was like 60 of them on. I wasn't going to look at 60, but I went to 25, and I'm like, uh, I knew I had to put some seafood ones in for Aaron, but I thought I would get him in some of the other areas. Like, so, um, Coop, you know, I do, <laughs> do you remember one of his biggest jokes ongoing for me was one day I made the mistake of saying, and I don't know how it came up, <laughs> oh, that God. I actually enjoy bologna sandwich oh god I, I, <laughs> and he's like what bologna he, what are you six years old he's like what do you like about i said you know what i loved it as a kid i love it now i know it's not the healthiest meat for you but i love a bologna sandwich and and yeah. he latched on to this aaron oh my god well, it was it was like we would be doing prep show and he'd start singing like my baloney. Has a fr- <laughs> it like, it's like, or you go, he just like, he turned the mic off because I was in the studio and Nick would, was not. And he go baloney. He's just like, he turned the mic off, start whispering. But it was, he was relentless on that. Yeah. So I didn't put baloney on here. If you know, on that. well, that's why I felt, I felt uh, obligated to tell everybody I love baloney. <laughs> then he came up with this segment uh, called, will Nick eat this? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i think we only did it once right i think it was i don't know you know like gary it's like... well the other thing that he did which at first i was a little annoyed at it but uh i went with it do you remember my theme song when i would come on he would put the sopranos theme on it yeah and he, and he would call me uh, tony sopranos or the boss and all this stuff uh, i guess you know i gotta own it i'm from jersey i kind of look italian i mean you know una fazza una razza they say greeks Look like Italian, so 
It, well, you know, it's funny, though, when we were down in Cuba, though, it was like I could see why he came up with that. Because, again, Nick was basically everyone knew who Nick was. They would do what Nick asked. Now, Nick didn't order them to do anything, but he'd ask something and he would do it. Uh, so you, Gary's like, oh, you know, that was uh, he's the boss, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that, Gary. That was him. Oh, God. All right, that was our Live Truth segment. So, Nick, we got one more segment. I want to talk a little more about Cuba on okay. some of these things. All right, Let's but that was, fun, that was a fun segment. I hope people enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it's but, different for sure. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I never did that one before. I may pull that out from time to time on different things, but we'll see. I said it was better than watching those on Facebook, so I'm talking about it. <laughs> All right. Let me mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company. Founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman, J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 126 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 111-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District in Tampa, Florida. At this factory known as Elder Hole, J.C. Newman owns premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines. The J.C. Newman Penta Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, and it's where Brickhouse, Pelodoma, El Baton, Quorum, and Yagua cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by tobacco at A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With its longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, health care, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars, the Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have made cigars for many industry leaders out of the Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has their very own brand on the market with Casa Cuevas cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas Connecticut, the Casa Cuevas Habano, Casa Cuevas Maduro, La Manderia, and the Cuevas Reserva line, as well as the new patrimonial line. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our casa to yours. And by Adventurist Cigars. Adventura Explorer is the first creation by Marcel Noble and Henderson Ventura. Immediately after lighting up the Explorer, the Mexican wrapper will delight the aficionado with its dark chocolate flavor. After a while of pleasure, the Dominican fill will flatter the aficionado's palate with wonderful spicy and leathery aromas and unite it with the wooden sweetness from Ecuador. Try Aventura, the Explorer, and explore the wonderful experience. And um, well, I mentioned the Great Smoke. That's right, folks. This year's Mega Cigar event is breaking barriers once again, returning with a live in-person event and broadcasting live virtually into the comfort of your own home. Michael Herkotz will be reprising his role as co-host for the main event, broadcasting special segments from the Great Smoke on-site studio and in the field for all virtual attendees at home. And adding to the more fun to the party every year, the Great Smoke is featuring a whopping four days of pre-event parties, after parties, and of course, the main event itself. This year's theme is a Hawaiian theme. And for those making the trek to the Sunshine State, get out your favorite Hawaiian shirt and prepare to be laid. Finally, this is our last segment, our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust Industry Deliberation segment sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included six consecutive top three appearances on the half-wheel consensus, including consensus number one cigar of the year with Mi Carita Tricky Traca in 2020. Visit DTCScars.com to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. And I may have to change that. Ad. Well, I don't know if I'm going to have to change that ad next week, so we'll find out on Monday if Saka makes the top three again. We will see. Oh. 
we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I think it's. I think it's like I've been asked about it. I think it's like outside shot. So. All right. So Nick, I know it's funny. I already talked to you a little about uh, the. Um, I talked to you a little about the tours, right? Yeah. Um, with Cuba. But what is the what is the current tour situation? And I'm not talking about your tours here, but like if someone wants to go to Cuba right now, I mean, what what is it more challenging than it was when we went? What are some of the differences and how do people go to Cuba if they want to go to Cuba? Well, you know, Trump's restrictions definitely put a damper on a lot of the, uh, you know, individual people going to Cuba. Um, they narrowed the categories of official travel to Cuba. Um, it's much harder. You know, there, first he, he started limiting the places you can go. Um, you know, he, he took away the remittances. Right now, the biggest problem with uh, the Cuban people is, you know, the number one GDP for them is, excuse me, is people, uh, their relatives sending money to Cuba, and that was removed. So right now... You can still go. The, the flights are limited, um, but it's much more restrictive, and you really have to keep very, very uh, good um, notes and itineraries when you go individually. You're, you're much more open to the scrutiny of, uh, you know, the, the Department um, of, uh, uh, def not defense, the, uh, well, the Office of... Um, Anyway, the, the U.S. government. They don't want you to go. The, the State Department, basically. Mm -hmm. um, they've cracked down as well. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because I really do believe that the more people that go to Cuba can really... I mean, look what's happening there with, you know, the protests that happened. That's all because of the openness uh, that's happened lately because of the Internet and, and the travel that's gone over there. So I think to really see positive change in Cuba... You need to have more Americans and people traveling there. And um, I understand the government's position of why they do what they do. And um, but, you know, if you do there to really support the Cuban people and, and to uh, if you're doing it with the right group, the tour operator, uh, you're 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 basically following the letter of the law. Um, there's ways to go there. But, yes, it's much more restrictive for individuals to go there. Do you remember when we were we were we were in Old Havana? And that guy was the Trump protester. He's like going anti Donald Trump. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And Gary then goes pro Donald. You know, he's trying. Of but I was shocked. To see, I was even shocked to see that. And you, I think you were a little shocked because that's something that normally they wouldn't allow to go on. But I guess there was there was a reason. You know, they they were very worried about. Uh, you know, what, him winning what him winning the election, and uh, yeah, rightfully so because I guess they knew what was going to happen. Um, and you know what? I think. He did what he did for political reasons, you know. Yeah, I think uh, he did too. Yeah, uh, predominantly the Cuban American population of South Florida is uh, not as a unanimous anymore. It's 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 getting you know more split, but uh, the the majority still do not like Americans traveling to Cuba because they feel that it uh, puts money in the Cuban government's pockets. You know, yep. and I understand their position. Yeah. Do you think President Biden's going to do something to un like go back to the Obama policies? I mean, I can understand he hasn't done it yet. It's his first year, and he had a fish to fry. But you know, maybe in the pandemic, it probably wasn't the right time to do it anyway. 
Yeah, I definitely believe maybe um, in a couple of years he might do something. But, again, he's got his hands full with a lot of other things going on. Yeah. But um, it's also the whole Venezuela uh, situation that is concerning. And so they don't want to do anything that looks like it's promoting Cuba when right now they're fearful of what's happening in the alliance, you know, that between those two countries. So I understand why, but I'm surprised he hasn't done something sooner because, yeah. uh, again, as being you know, Obama's vice president and, and he was all about, uh, you know, opening up Cuba for the right reasons, um, yeah. surprising he hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that'll be interesting to see like i said i remember when that all happened um so we'll have to watch that the the problem there like i'm waiting to go back myself one to kind of reassess this the the situation because i have a long list of um people that want to travel and and, and do a tour with me there but uh, as i've told everybody look until i know it's safer the not only the safeness uh, with uh, pertaining to the, the the pandemic and covid and the restrictions that, that are in place now look it was a pain in the ass before i can't imagine how much of a pain in the ass it is now in order to go there now you have to have a on top of your vaccinations you have to have a negative test within 72 hours um curfews were in place for a long time um and now they just had another little bump like the rest of the world has so you know i understand why habanos canceled again their 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 festival and i just don't think it's the right time to go not to mention because things were not coming in okay there's an embargo but now there's you can't get anything into the island um and everything has changed all the existing private businesses the restaurants um, most of those guys have gone out of business. I'm curious to see who's still left because when you have no tourism, that's who they're all catering to. And there's no tourism, there's no business. Um, I understand that prices have just gone ridiculously high. To give you an example and f- to put in perspective, a beer in Cuba used to be about a dollar, pretty much anywhere you went, a bottle of beer. Um, now a bottle of beer in Cuba is about $14. Wow. So... It's not double the price. Not if fourteen dollars. I guess it's the, the old supply and demand. So, if a bottle of beer is fourteen dollars, I can't imagine what anything else is. So until you know, I have to go back and find out what's still open, what's available. It's almost like starting from scratch to do the tours. And until I can assess what's available, what is possible, and what the pricing is, then I'll be able to start doing tours once this thing calms down a bit more. That's fair enough. I mean, uh, ears to the ground in Cuba, uh, you know, with the protests this summer. Um, anything you think that's going to change big as far as that goes, you know? No. Is it you, more safety uh, stuff or anything like that? Right now, there's a lot of trials, and they're um, really making examples, unfortunately, of some of these protesters, and they're giving them some pretty hefty um, sentencing um, that's going on there. So it's not very positive, but they definitely don't want to encourage this is the first time they've had a protest in i can't remember when i mean it goes to show you what the internet has done for that country and, and they were very fearful initially of even opening up to the internet oh, I, even um, when we were there it was tough to get internet you had to get the cards i remember yeah they back were... then it was cards but since then coop it's gotten a yeah. lot better once the uh, the cable was uh, was put through the the chinese contractors installed it and everything was working fine but the government was holding off because it's like they didn't want to open up pandora's box and for the right reasons even though it's somewhat censored and restricted 
it's still open. So, and it's relatively inexpensive for tourists and Americans to go online. For Cubans, it's a huge percentage of their income. So it's very cost prohibitive, but the Cubans there seem to find a way to get on the internet and it's opening up their eyes. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember we were getting those cards and we went out to Pinar del Rio and I think you would have wanted to told us buy the cards out on the road stops because they're going to be tougher to get when you get into Havana uh, and you yeah. buy these cards and basically that would give you access to the Internet for a period of time because they were harder to get in Havana. Yeah, usually an hour. And there was a secondary market. There wasn't that many of them. So <laughs> yeah, no, the, en- the enterprising Cubans would buy these cards, which were about a dollar a piece and then sell them on the street for five dollars you know so you couldn't find them uh now that the cards i don't know about now i'm talking right before the pandemic the cards were much more readily available there was even internet access and at a decent clip on cell phones so you could get i obviously had a cell phone a cuban number but you could get a cell phone sim card there and put internet on it and uh, for about ten dollars you could get about a gig worth of um, access which would last you the whole week, you know? And um, so it was a total different change and a game changer for me as well um, to have, you know, access in Cuba. Yep. No, it's a good, good. Yeah. I mean, that's, I remember how it was. Um, I don't know how much you um, have been following the supply and demand issues out of Cuba. So I'm curious. I mean, so I've been getting a lot of uh, pictures from people in Europe, showing me pictures of, empty habano stores like shelves empty not just boxes empty but shelves empty um what is do you have any knowledge what what the issues are down there right now that are causing such uh supply issues to satisfy this demand i also know the same thing there's hardly any boxes they're not selling boxes they're selling sticks when they have them um prior to the pandemic when you'd go there and there wouldn't be a cohiba in sight um because the chinese market the chinese um, started really becoming big tourists there and buying every Cohiba in sight. So you couldn't find a Cohiba anywhere. Um, Trinidad's, the, the better brands were, were gone, or the, the their higher line brands, I should say. But now, yes, there is a big shortage. There is plenty of cigars on the island, but as far as officially coming out of the factories and boxes, uh, I hear that's uh, is a big problem. And it's causing, the, the good part of that is that a lot of these um, countries in Europe and other and other parts of the world are now because of the accessibility of Cuban cigars, they're tending to go and smoke non-Cuban brands. And um, I mean that started back in like 2016 because the rest of the world freaked out when they heard Americans are going to be traveling to Cuba. They figured, oh, the embargo's over. We're never going to see another Cuban cigar again because the American market's just going to suck it all up. But the reality is the Americans that like Cuban cigars, they seem to get their cigars anyway. There's a lot of um, mail-order ways to get Cuban cigars into the country, and they have been for years. Um, again, higher prices, but they have been available. Yep. But now these countries are not getting what they, uh, what, what they need. So, yeah, there's definitely a shortage. Interesting. Habano, you mentioned Habanos got canceled. Was it canceled because of the pandemic or was it really maybe a blessing in disguise because of these supply problems and maybe it wasn't the time to do a festival? It was the pandemic because okay. they desperately need the money. In fact, there's yeah. talk that they're going to do at least the auction um, in September. They originally canceled it way back in like September when I got official word that it was it was a 
a no, 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 not a thing happening in February. Right. And then they officially, officially came out. I saw a cigar aficionado announced it just a couple of days ago again um, that there was no Habanos Festival. But that's a big moneymaker, you know, for Habanos. Um, you know, you have 2,000 attendees at the, for instance, at the gala at $700 a clip um, for the, the, the dinner pass. That's a big income producer. And, and the, uh, the auction um, where the funds go to the uh, health care system of Cuba brings in millions of dollars a year, uh, millions of euros a year. Um, so they desperately need that money. So I'm sure if they could figure out. But, you know, you got to give them credit in the sense that they're, they're, they fear for their safety, uh, for the people's safety. They have their own vaccine. They're giving them in there. They've seemed to um, have gotten a hold of it for a while. But, you know, where was the virus coming initially? Italy and China. And yep. those are two of the biggest tourist groups of people in Cuba. So hmm. it was very obvious to see that they were going to have problems, uh, you know, in an isolated island. But when they stopped all flights, they started to get a hold of it. But then it went rampant. Um, but then they have their own vaccines and things. And they seem to have gotten a better grasp of the situation there. And we'll see what happens in the next couple months. I, I, I anticipate going to Cuba in the next uh, few months myself. All right, good, good. But you don't think they'll have the festival, uh, just the auction maybe in, in, in September. Yeah. So they're going to yeah. postpone it until next year. Yeah, they'll probably do another virtual. Like last year they did a uh, virtual uh, yep. festival. Um, that's what we're going to see here. But maybe by the end of the year they might do some other event. It won't be actually a, the, the full-blown Habanos Festival, but maybe something along those lines. Yeah, actually they did that. They actually – from what I understand, that was originating from Spain, that virtual festival. It wasn't from Cuba they originated it. From. No, well, the, the the servers were in Spain, you know. Yeah, um, okay. But again, it was 50% owned by Altitis, which is now, Altitis is 100% owned by the Spanish, uh, the uh, Chinese holding group. Yep. But, um, yeah, so. All right. Oh, uh, we talked about supply and demand. How about the tobacco situation down there right now? Any concerns? I mean, I know Charlie wrote that article. I don't know if you saw it on some of the fertilizer issues. What's the tobacco situation looking like down there from the best maybe you can assess from afar? Well, from the contacts and the people I've spoken to, uh, yeah, there's a lot of supply issues and everything. So that has definitely uh, caused an issue with, uh, with the tobacco. And I think the people there you know, they 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 want to eat. Um, and, you know, if they can't sell their tobacco, they won't be able to eat. Too. You know, they have to sell it to one customer, one customer only. That's the Cuban government. So, but a lot of times uh, there was issues in the past where the tobacco farmers weren't getting paid as quickly as they wanted to. So they started planting other uh, products, you know, um, that they could eat themselves or sell themselves. And that caused a damper and a hit on uh, the supply issues as well. But this one is, um, you know, we'll see what it shakes out. But I get from people that I know, they say there's there's definitely tobacco and cigars in Cuba, not necessarily coming out of Habanos at the moment. But I, I, I agree with uh, Charlie's assessment, uh, the fertilizer and everything else is part of the reason of why. Okay. they, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we went out to Jose Luis Prieto's farm and we were smoking like some of the stuff he had rolled there. And like we're like, this is really good stuff. I mean, this is not garbage by any means. This was like good tobacco and stuff. So it's for people who say there's not good Cuban tobacco, I can just tell you 
we I think we were all in agreement that was really good tobacco we were smoking. And the tobacco the, that you were smoking out there at, at um, you know, Prioto's farm and Robina and all those farms, that's the, the cream of the creme over there. Yeah. That's the best yeah. of the best. That's the, the, the leaves they use in, in the Cohibas yep. and the and the, and the uh, Bahikas and stuff. So, yeah, yep. it was good tobacco. Yeah. Yeah, and then for folks who may not know this, right, the farmers, they own their farms, but basically they have to pay homage to, like, Caesar. Like in terms of what the government buys, that's kind of the way it works, right? So they're not letting rich off this stuff. No, no, they yeah. own their farms. I say in name only. You know, yeah. they gave it to them. They gave it back to them um, to encourage them to feel like they have ownership. But most of it is through co-ops that the government owns. But the individual farmers that do have their own farms, they have to sell ninety percent of their, you know, their output to the government. They're allowed to keep ten percent for local farm stuff for tourists coming and things like that. But 90% of it has to be sold to the Cuban government or Cuba tobacco. Interesting. All right. And the last question, just maybe you could give, um, are there any trends you're seeing maybe out of stuff coming out of Habanos right now? I mean, one thing that I saw the last few years is some of the bigger ring gauges they've been pushing, uh, outside. Yeah. I mean, we knew, we knew there were big ring gauges in Cuba, but outside we're seeing it. Is there anything else maybe we're seeing? Well, that's exactly what the trend has been. You know, they came out with a 58-inch Cohiba. They were doing a, they were going to do a 60-gauge, which is a little late to the table because, you know, the, the big gauges in the U.S. have almost come and gone. You know, like where there was a peak, I would say, like a couple years ago, I don't think you see as many, you know, bigger gauges in the U.S. as much as there was. And, again, that trend really started overseas uh, and then came to the U.S. But, yeah, they're, they're playing catch-up. Uh, by making larger gauge cigars. That was the trend prior to the pandemic. Now I don't know. I really don't know what they're going to do. You know, everything's about a limited edition there because, you know, they, they sell out. Um, they only make a certain amount of cigars, and then they divvy it up, and uh, they give it to their best customers first. When I say customers, you know, countries or their distributors where their biggest, um, you know, the demand is, and then it trickles yep. down to the rest. Good, good. All right. That was a deliberate. It was more of a, I think this was a little more educational tonight, but I certainly wanted to get your insights into Cuba. Um, Aaron, before we close out, you have anything else you want to do? No, we're good. Uh, okay. Uh, Nick, I want to thank you very much for being on the show tonight. It was great to have you on. Thank um, you. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. It was great. Um, before we go, um, next week, there will be no primetime show. Um, so uh, Aaron's going to be a TPA. Everyone's going to be a TP that we know. So I may plug in. I may do a live stream with, with someone who's there, but I'm not promising a show. So there'll be no show next week. Um, but the following week, uh, we have episode 218. We're going to have a 9 p.m. start for that show. Um, and that is going to be on February 3rd, and we have Jonas Santana of Blackbird Cigars making his debut. So it's always great to have a new person on the show. Uh, Jonas is in the Dominican Republic, and it was like 11 o'clock at night, so we said we can move it up early. So, <laughs> so you'll want to tune in for that. <laughs> he, was, he was, like, nice about it, too. He's like, you know, he's like, it, it, it really is late for me. I'm like, well, let me talk. I think we can work this one out. So, so we'll accommodate that. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Uh, so that's it. But, Nick, thanks, man. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Uh, yeah. It already seems like it was forever since you were in Charlotte. So, well, uh, I'll be in uh, South Carolina next week, uh, yeah. the southern part of the state. But I'll get back to Charlotte soon. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
definitely do it and definitely visit lhcigars.com. Follow Nick's uh, social media pages and stuff, and uh, we appreciate yeah, Facebook, it. Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash LH Cigars. If you give a like, I'm trying to see you know, how many people listen to the podcast and uh, make that's comments. Good. That's good, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like I said this will be on uh, iTunes, of course, uh, tonight. Um, and uh, luckily we didn't lose any of the show, so that's good. So, uh, so, so we'll have all that to go. Uh, so, sorry about the internet. I guess I, I told you the internet was really spotty, Nick. I wasn't kidding you when I said this. <laughs> like he's like, well, how come you? Haven't? I said, I said, Nick, it's been horrible here all week. So, uh, and, I, and I think it's. I don't know, but the weather's starting. To, I don't know if it started icing outside yet. So I'll know soon that uh, what happened. All right, but thanks everybody. Thanks to our audience. That's going to wrap up primetime episode two hundred and seventeen. Into the annals of history for this Thursday, January nineteenth, two thousand twenty-two. In all the time zones, just the time, just the oh, twentieth, January twentieth, twentieth. I said January twentieth. I blew it. I knew it. Blew it. You blew it. Okay, let's do it again. For this, wrap this up into the annals of history for Thursday, January twentieth, right at the midnight hour in all the time zones. We'll see everybody in two weeks on this show. Take care, everybody. See you guys. I guess I do make you nervous. (laughs) (laughs) You're still getting nervous. Look at that.